Welcome to the Broken by Dread podcast, episode 195. I'm your host, Derek Moore. With me this week is my semi-permanent co-host, CEO of Zega Financial, Jay Pestercelli. Jay, how are you doing today? Good, Derek. Did you say 195? Is this like a nice round episode number? Yeah, how did that happen? That's not supposed oh, to happen. I, you, you cornered <laughs> me, I guess. I really try to avoid the, I like the obscure numbers. Well, it's great to be here, Derek. Thanks. Good to have a lot to talk about today, I think. Yeah, I was going to say we're probably doing moderately better than Sam Bankman Freed and FTX. And, you know, I wasn't going to bring this up, but I, I guess we have to. I guess we have to a little bit. And no, I can't because, you know, I've been the, the crypto skeptic. And I think there, I don't think we want, you know, like, look, it's in bankruptcy. There's people way smarter than us, or I'm going to speak for myself, way smarter than me on this stuff. Uh, you got the guy who took over Enron once that debacle, and he goes in there, he says, this is the worse than Enron. So it's it's got to be, that's not a, a good And he knows what he's talking about. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, and, you know, the news reports are they bought people, employees' houses using customer money, you know, allegedly. So it, it's kind of a mess. Um, I'm just going to say it. I think this backs up my viewpoint that there there's no need for this stuff. Like, nobody needs crypto. And all these things, I mean, essentially, some of these coin offerings are akin to me going to Office Max. And, you know, you can buy like a, an industrial side, like the big roll of those tickets. You know, like when you go to a conference and they give you two drink tickets and then you hand them in. Like, why couldn't I just create that's that's a currency now. And I say they're a thousand dollars each, those tickets. And they're essentially all this stuff is. It's you buy this stuff, and you're just hoping you can sell it to somebody else for more. Like there's no redeeming value. That's always been my opinion. Oh, my gosh. Look, I feel like you're probably in the minority on this, and we've had our conversations before. I mean, do you think there's no use for for crypto, for the tokens? There's no use for the blockchain? Is that is that where you're going? Because we've got this really bad actor here who, A, didn't understand leverage, who, B, clearly commingled you know, business money and client money, and C, turn around buying stuff, you know, houses for employees in, uh, uh, I don't know if they're non-extradition treaty uh, countries, but, you know, buying, buying a a property outside the U S with, with assets from, from customers, like that's a bad actor. Right. And so you, now you're going to lump in the viability and functionality and utility of all crypto. Is that, is that what you're doing from this? I, I think, you know, maybe you could, we could separate Bitcoin, but I think all this stuff is just junk. Like why, why do I need a, a a coin? I just don't get it. I don't get it. And and the other thing I, I would say is, yet, has there been any major breakthrough that the blockchain is used for? Like we have DocuSign. We have, we have this stuff already. So I'm obviously the skeptic and I'm going a little bit further maybe than I need to. But yeah, I mean, I'm, I think this calls into question a lot of this stuff. And by the way, I'm going to say something contrarian. A lot of people are calling for regulation on this stuff. I think regulating this stuff almost adds validity to it. Like these aren't financial, like there's no redeeming value for these. So I don't know. Jay, I mean, do you have any, give your thoughts on this though. Why, why am I wrong? 
look, I think I think what happened with that company was terrible, and you know the the a lot of mistakes there, and a lot of things that you know I won't go so far as to say fraudulent, but certainly suspect. Until we get the final version, I'm allegedly. not the person. Doing you can, I think you can say allegedly, right? Like Jim Rome used to say, allegedly. I don't know. <laughs> sure. I mean, it, I don't know if I've even heard the term. But the, the point is, uh, I still do think there's 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 value in the blockchain. I think there's value in the distributed data. I think that there's, um, you know, an actual market versus your your uh, staples false tickets. I mean, there's an actual market where people are really trading these things and. Like all things, it's something's worth what someone's willing to pay for it. And there's a lot of people buying and selling throughout uh, throughout the day, throughout the night, throughout the weekend on these things. And so, look, I, I don't doubt that uh, there's, there's a lot of people questioning the validity of it. Um, the El Salvador experiment seems to be going south, right? Do you remember what that was, right? Where they actually were trying to use uh, crypto as a means of replacing their banking system. Okay, that doesn't seem to be going great right now. So I get it that you question all of this, but I'm not well, I'm not ready to throw out the utility and value of uh of, of where the the world is going here. Do I think it looks the way uh you know, it looks the, like the, like it is today in 10 years? I don't I don't necessarily think that's the case, but I do think the concept is uh, you know, shaking itself out. Like the whole, you know, stable coin concept and tethered and those kinds of things, you know, you always got to take those at, um, you know, with, with a grain of salt when things are new and have been untested. And I think this year proved that, you know, any asset class can get hammered, including one that was supposed to be technically unique and innovative. So I, I'm not throwing it out here as a, as a complete fraud, false and, and, and garbage. It is interesting. You mentioned leverage and a bad actor. There were, I forget who had posted this, but I guess they had done an interview with Sam Bankman-Fried. And the guy who was, the guy or the girl, I, I actually don't know uh, who it was, but they, they basically were questioning him on bet sizing. And there's this thing called the, what is it? The Kelly criterion. It's a, it's a probability based, like how much you can bet and stay liquid without blowing up and sizing your bets and keeping, you know, the investments. It's a mathematical formula for bet sizing. And I guess SBF, as you know, we'll call him, uh, Sam Bankman-Fried, he came back and said, basically arguing for much bigger bet size, like why not bet low probability things that can pay off a hundred or a thousand to one? Like he was almost advocating for exceeding the, you know, a 300 year old economic theorem on bet sizing. So that, that could be informative. Yeah. I mean, look, now you're talking about his hedge fund, right? Like the process in the hedge fund, right. That was getting funded and commingled with client money with, within his exchange. Yeah. Like, again, you know, you just have someone that was, you know, believed in, uh, their, their invulnerability. And I gotta tell you, like, so look, I was never the biggest fan there. I'm even less today, but I never understood, you know, like he stood up and he backed a lot of kind of other failing properties, right? There were other crypto exchanges and crypto brokers that were kind of going under and he would prop them up and he'd come up with money. And somehow he was able to acquire a lot of investor dollars to make, uh, to go into his company, right? And he was using that to kind of prop up 
what looks to be a declining space and a failing price point. And, uh, and you know, I think that uh, there was more risk taken than he could absorb. And, you know, finding himself losing, you know, multiple billions in fortune in virtually a day. Right. That's tough. That's tough for anybody. So, look, I, 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 uh, I don't know. Like, you know, would you throw the whole stock market out because of Bernie Madoff was a bad actor? No. Do I think he's a Bernie Madoff? I don't know if he was actually taking client money and buying his staff houses in Bermuda. Then, yeah, that's pretty bad, in my opinion. But I can't throw the whole industry out. I think you're I think you're getting a chance. To talk about it. Yeah. By the way, different different company, I think, was the spot. But Fortune, I guess, did not favor the brave here or yeah, yeah. that's a different company. <laughs> right. You know, right. Well, yeah. Now you got to be even more brave if you want to stay in it. So it is interesting. Uh, let me just wrap up this point because we want to get to some market stuff. Uh, I'm going to get one of my recommendations this week. And I've said this. It's one of my favorite books to look at uh, Technological Revolutions and Financial Capital, Carlotta Perez. It's, it's a really good book, and it basically outlines there's these five different technical revolutions that have been driven by financial capital investment. I mean, you have to have investment. And it's things like the industrial revolution, the steam engine, steel, electricity, uh, oil, automobiles. And then like the fifth one that I think we're still in is the age of information and, and telecommunications, which includes the internet. And the reason why I bring this up is so I'm not convinced that there's anything there. I, I, I mean, you, you, have, uh, you have more faith, I'll call it, in, in that. But it is interesting, like when the internet came up and you think about the end of 90s, the early 2000s, there was, they call it an eruption phase, a frenzy phase, and there's a lot of, there's usually a crash involved. And think about all those internet companies. Like a lot of those aren't around anymore. You had a lot of money went into the space. And then what happens is once the standards are set, then you have that technology is adopted. It's gone through the frenzy. It's gone through the crash. The remaining people are still standing or standing. And then you have, you know, a Domino's pizza is, you know, enjoying the fruits of that, that frenzy and that crash. But that, that technology has been adopted and you have old line companies using cloud technology. I don't know if this is a mini like, you know, we'll see if this is a mini, the standards are going to be set and, and the bad actors go and things blow up. I don't know, but I guess we'll see, Jay. We, we will see. Uh, I'm not sure that it's big enough, but maybe we should have a, a friendly wager. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll design something. We'll, we'll give it to charity or something like that. Sounds good. Uh, let's, you set the parameters and, uh, and I'm in. <laughs> All right, let me let me transfer to somebody's right and somebody's wrong. I feel like this should be something that we bring up on the show. Oh yeah, I love this idea. Well, let's let me give you the parameters here. Uh, the latest estimate from the Atlanta GDP Now, which is a now cast, brings in every bit of information, and then they uh, they update it. They just updated on the seventeenth, and their estimate for Q four GDP growth is four point two percent. Of course, that is an annualized number. Uh, but it's the quarterly GDP. Jay, 4.2 is much higher than the blue chip consensus of, I'm going to round this out of about a half percent. Jay, somebody's right, somebody's wrong. Who's right and who's wrong here? Yeah, so this is really interesting that you you bring this up, Dirk, because 
everybody's talking about, you know, the R word recession. I know we don't have to go into defining what, what that means. And everybody's talking about, you know, we're trying to get a slowdown in the economy. But this GDP estimate coming from uh, uh, the Nowcast, which, by the way, has a lot in it, and we'll talk about it in a minute, is really is really uh, diverging from what the blue chip consensus looks like. And so, you know, it's it's. I think you know we've always looked at this number, Derek, with a grain of salt, but given credence to its directional bias. Right. So it was trending lower, you know, a year ago before anybody else. And even though GDP wasn't as bad as it was predicting, it did predict, you know, a downtick when nobody accurately predicted a downtick when nobody else was. And now if this is, you know, off by this much, like that much ahead of it and showing, uh, you know, a four over four percent GDP number like that's. That's really uh, it's it's a little shocking to me, actually, that they're that far off. And maybe maybe it would make sense to talk about, you know, the components of what's driving that difference. Yeah. I mean, I, I think one of the main ones is consumer spending. And so what, the way they break this up, if it's a 4.2 estimate for Q4 or now cast of the 4.2%, 3.29 of that is attributed to consumer spending. Jenna, we just had retail sales come out. I don't know if this is people levering up credit cards or what, but but the consumer is still spending on a nominal basis, Jay. And I think we've seen that. And then the other piece of this non-residential fixed investment, uh, 0.68% of that and net exports. And of course, the dollar being higher helps our exports because they're in dollar terms, they're worth more. Um, the thing that's not surprisingly uh, not doing as well is residential investment minus 0.54 and change in private inventory is slightly down. Um, Jay, I mean, the, the consumer is still spending on a nominal basis, right? But real retail sales, their peak was March of 21. So I think this is where the nominal thing comes into play, right? Yeah. So you want to, so understanding nominal versus real, like, right. Or that's, that's kind of the difference here, right. When you say, well, you know, you're, you're spending dollars today, but those are kind of inflation-based dollars, right? That's the nominal difference. Am I correct on that? Yeah, real is adjusted for inflation. And by the way, GDP now nowcast is a real GDP growth forecast. But I, I think, you know, the consumer continues to be strong, which by the way, does that mean the Fed is having no effect on the consumer? All right, let's set that <laughs> off for a second. <laughs> well, yeah, no, so, yeah. So you're right. So the the thing that I would say about this, right, the, it's it's been the larger driver, right? Consumer spending. Um, no surprise about the residential investment, right? At this point, being uh, the thing that's ticking uh, uh, negative, right? Real estate, uh, even this residential. Uh, piece is uh, probably the first thing that gets impacted when the Fed makes a move, whether up or down, and they've been definitely impacting uh, real estate, uh, in my opinion, pretty pretty hard. Um, that doesn't seem to have filtered into the rest of the spending habits, though, for the U.S. consumer, because it's still pretty strong. Yeah. And and by the way, I mean, real retail sales, it is is flat to slightly down since March of 21. And so you know, this does, I know we talk about earnings too. And by the, all right, just to, to close the loop on this, I tend to like to 
the direction that the Atlanta GDP Fed now has given us. And so I'm inclined to say that that is correct. I don't know what the total, because remember, it's Q4. We're in Q4, which means there's a lot of data left to go. But I'm inclined to go with this. Maybe people are overly bearish, Jay. I, so, okay, so in the who's right, who's wrong, someone's right, someone's wrong, you say the Atlanta Fed is right with the higher than four versus yes. kind of the broad blue chip consensus of being at the just under a half. That's right. I think you get a surprise tick up, but four seems really extreme to me. Can I, can I be in the middle with the trend upwards? I guess we don't get a vote. So if I had to vote who's right, I would say uh, the trend of the Fed is probably correct, but that seems way too extreme to me. I guess we'll see. Agreed. All right. So the other thing I want to talk about is we always bring it back to, you know, everyone's trying to figure out whether or not there's going to be a recession. And you always say, and I'll paraphrase and you can correct me, like, who cares? Because it comes down to, for stock investors, are earnings growing or not? Are revenues growing or not? And what's going on with margins? That's really the most important thing. And I know the looking at, uh, basically everyone's pretty much reported, Jay, I think there's 25 companies left in the S&P 500. 4.2% is the year-over-year growth for Q3 2022. Revenues up about 11.6%. Interestingly enough, if you take away energy, so X energy, earnings are down 3.6% year-over-year. Jay, I think we still want to look at earnings, though. And earnings, although they're down X energy, I think they're holding up pretty well. Wouldn't you agree? Uh, yes. Yeah, I do. Uh, you know, the X energy piece is interesting. And I don't, you'll have to remind me, is that significantly different than last quarter? That feels like in line with last time that we talked about the impact of earnings X energy, right? It's pretty similar. Yeah, no, that's right. I think earnings were flat last quarter. Um, X Energy, they were down. Yep. Yeah. So uh, you know me, right? Energy and interest rates are the things that I think drive. It's not energy, sorry. Earnings and interest rates are the thing that drive the market. I'm, you know, I'm okay with earnings being concentrated in energy, right? What's next? You said industrials, real estate. I think that probably gets hit. Then you look at like uh, communication services and financials. I got to tell you, I'm surprised with financials. I really, really am surprised with financials. Um, not because I know they're doing less loans these days, right? Financials are down what I think the chart says 16% in earnings. But, you know, I don't know. Are, have you seen your savings rate and your checking rate go up to 4% like or 3% even, right? So the net interest margin, I think they're they're not, they're still not distributing that out to consumers. And that's the primary driver of a big driver of bank and financial income. So I'm surprised at financials, really, um, not communication services, right? You look at the Googles and the metas of the world, Facebook, you know, those guys are obviously dollars get cut first for marketing when people are scared. But, you know, overall, yeah, I, I got to tell you, I don't think it's, uh, it's not a dismal picture from an earnings perspective, it's certainly not where we were last year. You know, we're talking about projecting and growth and everyone's talking about $240 per share on the S&P. That's not happening. But um, it's they're holding up. I think it's fine to say they're holding up. Positive earnings on the S&P is a good thing. What I don't know in financials is how much has their, you know, the mortgage business, and not everyone has a, a 
you know, a big mortgage lending business, let's say. But I think I think that's hurt. I think the the IPO market has dried up, and some of the investment bank, you know, there may be some some pockets in there that are that are down. And I also believe that they have they have to they're not necessarily taking credit losses on the you know or loan losses, but I think they have to hold back. And um, I'm I'm getting a little technical here, but you know they say these loans are still good, but we have to set aside some provisional loan losses. It's it's sort of a a balance sheet or a, a yeah, it's, it's dollars that they can't invest with. But you know when you look at their their revenue, Derek, right? I think their revenue is up seven point eight percent, but their earnings are down sixteen percent. So it's uh, you know, I mean, is it a dollar story? Is it you know they don't you know. How does inflation really impact, you know, cost of goods at a financial services firm? It doesn't, right? It's not like they could say, oh, we're now going to charge higher rates in, for loans, right, because of inflation or, you know, it's, it's, it's not like that. Right. So I just, you know, it seems like a margin question versus uh, a revenue question. I don't know. Well, for sure. I mean, normally when nominal, so not, as you said, we don't adjust earnings and revenues for inflation. That's not real earnings or real inflation. I'm sure somebody does that, but they'd be doing it, you know, they don't do it all the time if they do. So to me, when you have inflation, nominal revenue should be up. Uh, your nominal earnings should be up, excluding the dollar going up as well. And I think that's been a headwind where revenues are actually suppressed a little bit, especially for the big multinational tech companies like Microsoft, I, I think in their earnings report, uh, Q, Q1. So I know it's weird because we are we just reported Q3, but their Q3 is Q1 of 23. You, know, you can start your fiscal year anytime you want. Uh, they, they cited about 5% impact to the downside on revenues due to the dollar. So yeah, I mean, I, I, think, I think inflation, you know, what we have to watch, margins have been really, really high. And if I was going to take the bear case here, I'd say, well, margins can't stay this high. They have to come in. And then obviously, you know, a, a dollar situation, the dollar going back down would be helpful. But Jay, I mean, I, I think margins is where we'd start to see what the Fed is doing impact earnings now. Uh, yeah, right. I, I, it, I think for sure that's definitely going to be a piece of it. Um, you know, things like labor costs, you know, those, those, you know, are going to continue to go up for a little while and, uh, they have been lagging, right? Real wages have lagged, uh, but wages are still on the way up. That's not something that gets reversed by the fed anytime soon. Right. So that you need the whole labor market to change a little bit. When you think about, you know, costs of goods, those kinds of things, right. That all impacts margins. I, you know, Derek, it's, it's, you know, it's, I think we could dig deeper and deeper into this, but when, when I overall, right, the picture is without some, without some of the outliers here, I still think the story is actually still positive, right. When it comes to earnings. And so I, I know the fed wants to kind of impact this, right. Uh, we just talked about before how they haven't hit the consumer yet. Uh, and you see earnings growing, like, what does that mean? It means they have to continue to posture and act in a way to slow, uh, slow the economy. And it's just all these things that show that the resilience of the U.S. economy is, is, is remains, I think, puts more pressure on the Fed, which 
You know what that means, right? Raise more rates. Raise rates and leave them higher for longer. Speaking of earnings, Jay, you know, one of the things I have noticed is that the 2023 estimates, I mean, look, they're, they're coming down. Uh, I believe earnings are expected to be right around 230 of next year, according to FactSet, something I'm looking at from them. That would be roughly what about uh, earnings growth of about 5.7%, revenue growth of about 3.4%, if I'm reading this right. So, I mean, look, earnings estimates are coming down. You know, JP Morgan, not no, Morgan Stanley is the low estimate of sort of the, the big banks. They actually have, have earnings declining next year. But yeah, I mean, typically earnings, we do see revisions down in normal years. What we saw in two, 2021, I mean, I think they were underestimating growth and they had to raise the estimates up and they did it for the following years. But yeah, I mean, look, if, if you and I have always said, Jay, the thing that unravels the market is if earnings don't hold up. We knew if, if inflation stuck around more than people expected, that would be a negative. And the second shoe that could drop is earnings to, to really fall. And so far, I'd say earnings estimates, while they're declining, they still show growth. This is still remains a multiple-driven bear market. And I got to be honest with you, you know, I haven't done the research of this, Jay, but how many bear markets don't have a decline in earnings? That would be an interesting question for us to bring up. It really, it really would time. be, right? Earnings were up, yeah. but still multiple contracted. But you know, I, I think this is a unique, we've talked about how unique this year is with rates changing and you know, what a risk-free investment looks like now versus in other years is very different. 100%, uh, which brings us back to really something we've been watching as well is the inversion of twos and tens, three months. So it, Ken Harvey was the guy who wrote the initial paper and he used what, the three-month treasury against the 10-year? 10-year, three-month. Yeah, 10-year minus three-month, yep. Yep, and that one has inverted. Uh, you've been looking at this as well. I think everything's inverted, but the degree of inversion's getting a little bit large, right? Yeah, this one, you know, everyone talks about twos and tens. I, I think that that is the one that kind of shows some more false positives than others. But when you look at the degree that we're inverting here, when you do the 10-year rate minus the three-month rate, I mean, we're at like, you know, half a percent. We're getting close to half a percent. And, you know, that usually proceeds and I you know that to that degree I shouldn't say usually when I'm, I'm looking at the, like the last four recessions that inversion preceded all of them and uh, you know by the way including COVID right which was odd you know was that coincidental or not hard to hard to know that one but um, you know it's one of those things that this is if you're gonna look at an inversion of the yield curve where people uh, are preferring to take longer-term safety. I guess you got two factors on this, right? Is it because the three-month is going up or the 10-year is going down? It's a factor of both. But this, this metric that we are inverted has definitely preceded uh, the last one, two, three, four, or five recessions, right? So, you know, I don't – nothing's 100%, of course, but this one's, you know, done a pretty good job of predicting – the of the the recession, but again, I go back to the "who cares what a recession is" comment. But you know, it it, it kind of flies in the face of the the the, the Fed uh, GDP, you know, the Atlanta Fed GDP number, where um, they're talking about GDP growth. Meanwhile, the bonds are showing a lot of fear. You know, I go back to December of eighteen, 
and myself, you, I think Nick, you and us three were on a, a call. And the Fed raised, it was the last Fed raise of December of 2018. And on the call, I, I remember just saying it out loud. They just inverted us. I don't know if you remember that, but I mean, the Fed literally inverted. And I know, I mean, look, we had the inverted curve. We did have a recession. Some people say, but that was because of COVID. It's not, we wouldn't have had a recession. There were some things that kind of pointed after the fact that, hey, I mean, that's, uh, it looks like we had a, you know, recession coming anyway, but who knows? We'll never know. Now that one, that one inverted, I don't know if that one inverted the tens in three months. I think that was the two and 10 that, that, that ended up inverting there. I could be, I could be mistaken about that one. And it was early. Um, if you're going to count that 2020 sell off, I'm avoiding the, the virus word. Um, I would tell you that, uh, you know, this one to me, it gives more credence and I've been watching it all year and it has been, it has held up really well, but this month it's, it's really kind of rolled over. And got inverted. By the way, typically you don't see recessions. I think even the thing you and I were looking at this morning that you passed uh, passed along to us, the recessions don't come when it's inverted. It comes after it uninverts. And I don't know if it's coincidental of you know the MBER they they deem what a recession is or isn't. But I mean, I, I'd like to think one of these times you don't get a recession. It can be proven wrong, right? I mean, nothing's fail proof, right? So it could be, that could be the case. Uh, listen, I, I mean, that'd be nice if we don't, but again, uh, you know, this one's almost, it's kind of fabricated. Like during those, when we were just talking about those things, like there weren't huge fed moves, right. That caused the move like this, you know, how, how many basis points is the, as the fed moves there? We had 400 at this point. Or am I, am I just rem- assuming we're going to be at 500, right? Like the Fed is driving the short term rate, right? I'm sorry. We, we, but I I mean, this is being really kind of, uh, I hate to use the word manipulated, but it's being forced on us and it's not the market forces that are, that are doing it. And what you're seeing is that longer term investors are resisting these higher rates and they're willing to be long a 10 year um, there is, there is, there's, I have two schools of thought, by the way, on the 10 year being, you know, where it is in, in yield, right? That means, so th- the fact that it's got a lower yield means, you know, there's, it's, it's, there's more purchasing on that one, arguably, than, than the shorter term, right? So what it, what typically it means is investors would rather lock in a longer term yield uh, at, you know, 3.7% versus, you know, something shorter and then that matures and they're kind of stuck holding the bag and not knowing what to do. But I think there's um, an interesting dynamic here where it's actual bond investors who want to get long duration, meaning staying away from the short side of it. And if rates do retract and do pull back in a year or so or two years, they benefit their assets, their bonds actually go up in value as rates pull back. And so it might be Derek positioning of portfolios getting long duration, or it could be the flight to safety and just locking in the rate that you have um, because you're okay with it and you don't want to you know, deal with the potential lower rate in two to three years. I'm not sure which, which one of those two you think is the case or maybe. I mean, there is an interesting thing to look at, and that's if you believe that the Fed is going to have to pivot and it's going to have to lower rates, you actually want duration. 
meaning you want sensitivity to changes in rates because if rates go down, the longer your duration, the more money you make. You know, if, if you believe that rates are really going Your down, bond appreciates. That's right. Right. Uh, if you think the 30-year yeah. is going to go down, you buy the zero-coupon 30-year ETF, bond ETF, which has a 30-year duration. Every one-point change in the interest rate, you make 30%, give or take, you know, on the back of the, the envelope. So I think that's interesting. And there could be some positioning of some traders, and they may have it hedged too. There's nothing to say that um, they, they, don't, they don't have it hedged as well. It's, yeah, I mean, and I, I go back to, I, I don't have it in front of me, but I remember discussing with you and, and some of the other folks on our investment committee that typically what you see is interest rates start to drop. When I say interest rates, things like the 10-year or the five-year, after the Fed has already started raising, not when they're done, but when they've started. And it's almost like the bond market is anticipating what's going to happen in the future with the Fed. Same way that we say the stock market anticipates months in advance, uh, you know, the trough of the economy. So I think you might have something there that people are willing to step into that. Because if nobody was willing to buy them, and we know the Fed's not buying stuff right now because they're reducing the balance sheet, those should be going up, meaning bonds going up or bonds going down, uh, interest rates going up. So yeah, that's I think you might be onto something there. And if people are right, they can make some money with it. Who knows? Yeah, you can make some money on those longer term bonds. And you know, the 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 playbook was kind of showing itself uh before August, which was uh like what you just said, where you know the five and the ten years start to drop while the Fed is raising rates because of an anticipation that they'll eventually, you know, reduce rates. But you know, that August uh uh, Jackson Hole, eight minute, was it even eight minutes? Eight minute speech by Powell kind of told everybody, you're not listening. We're not going to do what you think we've done in the past because we really need to make a change because we haven't been able to impact it so far. You're not listening, right? He yelled, he basically scolded the market on that, on that press and he continues to do so, right? He even did it, you know, uh, this month, right? And I guess we're going to get it. Uh, we're going to get it again in, in December. So, you know, I just, uh, you know, it's, 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 again, it's being, they're using rhetoric, they're using their actions, and they need to really create the slowdown in the economy. And I think you and I have argued that, you know, when everything looks like, uh, when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. They have one tool, right? Raise rates, and they can raise it faster or slower, and they can talk about it. But, you know, are they really able to impact inflation, the type of inflation that we had? You know, you and I have questioned it, and so far, you know, it it, it hasn't it hasn't shown that they've had a really strong impact on it. And uh, you know, without going too far, and they said they'll go too far. They said they'll be pain, and they're going to leave it there. So, like you know, they're 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 sticking to their talking points, but uh, whether they're really making an impact or not is we don't know, and they may cause a whole different set of damage. I've probably said this before. I sometimes feel that. The medicine is worse than the disease in this scenario that we're taking, right? So we'll see. Do I think too, it's, it's kind of interesting in that, so the market rallies, you know, we have this gargantuan one day, two day move that's many standard deviations past, you know, what, what's sort of expected by uh, things like the options market, implied volatility. And the market does that on a 0.4% month over month increase, an increase in inflation. 
And if you recall, what was it? A few months earlier, the market was expecting, you know, zero, negative 0.10, and they got zero or something slightly positive, and the market fell. Like inflation still went up. So why did the market rally? Sometimes it just doesn't make sense how the market reacts. And then, of course, as you said, the Fed governors have been quick to come on and say, oh, no, 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 we're, we're not done. Um, you know, data dependent, they changed some things. But it is interesting sometimes in the short run how the market reacts. And I think, though, we started to see good news be good news again. And I thought that was an interesting turning point. I don't know if it's the quote-unquote green shoot for the markets, but not all good news is, has been met as bad news, right? Uh, yeah, we, uh, I think we had some other good news this past week, too, and the market didn't do well with it, right? What was the news on Thursday? Oh, the employment? Uh, that was retail sales. Yeah, the unemployment was good, right? Lower claims. The market didn't like it. So it's nice when good news is good news, right? Right now, I, I still think it's mostly good news is bad news for the market. Uh, but, you know, we shall see. It's nice when everything's kind of in line, like, oh, that's good. So the market goes up. No, nope, we're not We're not in that mode yet by any means. But it's, you know, you asked why the big move. It was um, the rhetoric was, oh, it's topped out. Yeah, we know we still have an increase, but it's increasing less. And the market's always going to jump on that early, right? You have the early adopters that are going to try to time the bottom on this. And, you know, it was a big day. That day was also kind of a squeeze day, right? A little short squeeze going on there at the end of the day as well. So, look, I hard, hard, hard to kind of, uh, uh, you know, round that out. But uh, it's we, we're still in this volatile period, Derek, and we are very data-driven. Uh, but... You know, like when you look at the things that really move the market on the big days, whether it's CPI or it's unemployment or it's a Fed day, these are real fundamental, uh, what I'll call data points, right? These are kind of economic broad-based data points that um, are causing near-term movements in the market. And so, you know, until that stops, I'm not sure we could start to get, you know, uh, the true, true rebound. And if every one of these uh, rallies are really the 15% bear market rally, this could go on for a little longer until the Fed, you know, talks about easing up. And at that point, I think then you see a significant change. All right, Jay. Well, I think we've uh, we've covered the the downfall of crypto. Uh, you can send me emails and tell me how much you disagree with me. Derek.moore at zegafinancial.com. That's D-E-R-E-K dot M. I just sent you one. Oh, yeah. I, know you, I didn't even get the email. Uh, M-O-O-R-E at Zega, Z, Z is in Zebra, E is in Eddie, G is in George, A is in Apple. Financials up to you to spell correctly.com. Yeah, go ahead and send me the emails. And, you know, th- I mean, I've always made the, the parallel, Jay, that crypto reminds me of the, the baseball card bubble in late 80s, early 90s. And, you know, I mean, all these things, you say they're worth something, but they're only worth what you can sell. And you can sell them if somebody's willing to pay more. Like there's no cash flows that come in. Sure. So, all right. Yeah. Uh, we're going to go to recommendations. And I said one of mine already, Carlotta Perez's uh, technolo- Technological Revolutions and Financial Capital. That is a, an interesting read. If you want to understand from her perspective of how these fa- five major you know, revolutions happen 
and the phases you have this you always have a crash but then you have this sort of lasting thing where the the standards are set and and you know like i always give the example like there are old line chemical companies who are using cloud computing so they weren't part of the the technological revolution but they're they're enjoying the fruits of that but jay any uh i think i think one of the ones uh tulsa is that is that a recommendation for you this week or do you got some others it is, yeah, Tulsa King, which is Sylvester Stallone as a gangster who goes to uh, Tulsa because there's no room for him in New York after he gets out of jail. I, you know, at the, by the time this comes out, two episodes will have been uh, out already. But the first episode that I watched, I liked. And, you know, I, I can tell you, Derek, I'm very like, uh, um, I feel unprepared with the recommendation. You come out with this really smart book and I come out with, you know, a recommendation of Sylvester Stallone as a gangster. Like I feel like I've <laughs> I've, I've brought down the class of your no, podcast. I have, today. I, have a, but I have a movie that is not a uh, highbrow uh, by any means. It's not uh, academic. All right. Well, uh, uh, it's on Paramount Plus. Tulsa King. If you want to watch it, if you want where to get it. Is it Sundays? So, as, I think it's Sundays. Yeah, Sundays. So all right. I saw the first one after you told me about it. I enjoyed it, and like it's a good role for him. I feel like he fits it really well. It's almost perfect for him. It's perfect. How old is he now? I can't believe he hasn't done it already. When was Stallone born? I got to look this up. When was Stallone born? I mean, he did Rocky. What did Rocky one? He was born in 46. So what does that make him? He's 75. Though. 76, 77? 75. 75, 76. Yeah. We 76, should be able to do 76, simple yeah. subtract. No, no, 76. <laughs> 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 people forget though i mean he he kind of became a little bit of a caricature with um you know the drago rocky five and then some of the other stuff he did was he was nominated for an oscar for the original rocky right i think he was uh yeah yeah like that was a really and good it movie. won uh did, didn't it win didn't it win best picture oh boy now i'm throwing myself out there um yeah i'm gonna rocky best picture Rocky Oscar. All right, we got we got to look this up on the fly. Did Rocky win Best Picture? No, I think Old President's Men in the early seventies. Okay, that, that one mid seventies, mid mid late seventies. Yeah, well, it's out there. It's nominated. I think. Listen, oh, he's, no, hang he's on. Done best Picture, things, right? Best so, Director, as well as Best Editing were won by Rocky. Is that right? Did it win? Okay, Best three. There you go. All right, I'm doing this on the fly. I like that I'm not totally. The honest. other one I had was a movie. Called, I think you all enjoy this one, Jay. It's called Out of the Furnace, and this is a movie came out in 2013. Randomly, I was I think it was on HBO or one of these. It's got Christian Bale, Casey Affleck, uh, Woody Harrelson. Um, it's got Sam Shepard, William Defoe. I mean, it's just it's got a, a, a Zoe. Uh, Saldana, I think is how, how you say her name, but you know, totally, she's really good. It's got an unbelievable cast, and it's got Pearl Jam. It sounds like a great cast. Yeah, yeah, really, really good movie. It's uh, takes place in like Western PA, Western PA, or kind of on the border, I guess, of um, Appalachia, PA, that type of stuff. Harrelson does not play a good guy. I'll just tell you that much. He plays. Uh, but Christian Bale is, is fantastic in this. Pearl Jam does a lot of the, they use a lot of their songs for the musical score. So good movie, Out of the Furnace. Out of the Furnace, you said? Out of the Furnace. Out of the Furnace, okay. It's streaming somewhere, but uh, that's my recommendation, Jay. It's, uh, it's pretty good. 
All right. You know, sometimes you watch a movie and you, like I was walking by, I heard um, the Pearl Jam song, Release Me. And Christian Bale is in this scene. And I just, I'm like, oh, what do we got here? Like, I don't even know what this, but I'm in just because of the song. I'm like, oh, (laughs) all right. Well, I think we beat this up enough. Um, I'm going to go, you know, hopefully, uh, anyway, I'm going to leave crypto alone. Uh, this has been episode if you can 195. I'm leaving it alone for sure. Uh, so, <laughs> all right, Jay. Thanks again for coming on, and uh, we'll talk to everyone next week. See everyone. Thanks, Jay. You got it, Derek.